We believe in the Trinity, that God exists in Trinity, and that's super confusing. We try to wrap our heads around the Trinity and how God can exist that way, but let me give you a very simple and significant truth about the Trinity. What that means is, at the very essence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God is relational. Throughout eternity past, through eternity future, God has existed in relationship as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship of love. Now, as we try to wrap our heads around these things, one of the significant things of that is we are created in the image of God. And so part of what that means is that at our core, we as people are relational. Love and to be known is a need all of us have. And that's why some of our deepest wounds are from relational tensions and issues. Maybe you've heard people say, you know, man, I don't care about what anybody thinks. I'm a dog. (laughs) You can feel free to tell that person, well, I wish you weren't a liar too. Now don't say that because that's rude. But that is true. All of us need relationship. We need to be loved and known. We can't reject that. So there are two things before we dive into the text I want you to lock in your mind. We need and long for love and healthy relationships. Yet two, every single relationship we are in is tainted by sin. From the beginning of sin on, relationships have been difficult. I used to, I've totally changed the way I react to this statement I used to envy it, and it has switched. And you'd be around those people, particularly couples, that are like, I don't think we've ever fought. Let me think about it. No, we have never fought in our whole life. We're, we're not, we just don't fight. And I used to think, oh, man, I'd love to be in a relationship like that. But now that I understand that all relationships have issues, I go from envy now to empathy, and I feel bad. Like, oh, we never fight. I'm like, oh, sorry. One of you's a stuffer, huh? You don't deal with it? Well, I'll pray for that. Depending on how sarcastic I'm feeling in that moment, like, oh, really? Wow, you're the only two people on earth unaffected by sin. You love each other perfectly, never disappoint each other. Hey, party on the top floor. Put her there. (laughs) All of us need loving relationship. Every relationship you're in is tainted by sin. So we as people need to figure out how to repair relationships. Since that is a core need, that all tells me that some of your core wounds, and I can guarantee it, in this room, most of our deepest wounds come from a relationship that has been harmed and tension in a relationship. How many people in a room this size haven't talked to their parents, to their kids in years? How many of you right now are on like Day four of the cold shoulder, and it's icy in your house. I won't make you raise your hand. How many people fought on the way to church this morning? (laughs) I don't need to have you raise your hand. You're the one that laughed really loud or squirmed in your seat, right? We all have this, and this here. And if you just came for my advice, so if here's the key to relationships, go home. This is God's word giving you the key 
to repair and restore relationships. I hope this is practical. I hope we apply this and be in the business of reconciling relationships because that's what this passage is about. God giving us one of, if not the key, to repairing relationships. So let's dive into that together this morning. And it's, it's probably not what you think. The sermon's like a Rolling Stones song, right? Might not be what you want. You might find it's what you need, all right? So let's dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. So you can follow along as I read this. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So in this passage, we see the journey that Paul and the church takes. They started with tension and relational division, and Paul wrote them a letter. I kind of backed it in to a couple verses from last week as we started this series on conflict. It's kind of like a little mini-series in the middle of Corinthians, because that's what this passage is about. Paul confronts them on their issues and sins, and that was the letter he talked about. Now, if you haven't, go back and listen to Pastor Rick's message about how to confront people in their sin. And that is one of my favorite things about Pastor Rick. That is not an easy message. That is not popular in our culture. But Big Homie does not shy away from saying the hard stuff when the Bible says it. And I love that. That's what I love about our church. And I don't care if that's not popular. That is, again, necessary. But go back and listen to that, because if you're excited to confront people, you probably have issues, but go ahead and listen to that sermon to help yourself, right? Now Paul flips the table, right? He spins the table in conflict, and he stops focusing on, man, what that person is doing, how to confront in my own issue. Both are important. This one should be far more common in your life. We get so focused on the one who is in relationship with us in their sin. But listen to the proportion that Jesus gives us. Both have issues. We need to get the log and the speck right. Jesus said, I want you to see their issues as a speck and your issue as a log. You ever get that wrong in conflict? And think, I mean, and this is how it goes, right? I mean, I'll do some counseling or marriage counseling. It usually starts with like, look, I know I'm not perfect, right? I have my issues with my spouse. I'm not perfect. I know I've messed up too, but man, and you can just, 
You ever mix up the log and the speck? And we need to be more consumed with our own issues in sin and deal with that. And that's where kind of Paul is placing us, focusing on our own issues. So Paul confronted them on their issues. And then now we hear the response. How do we get there? It started with such tension, and now there is joy and reconciliation. What is the key that God's word gives us? In responding to our issues, there were two clear responses. We got worldly and godly, right? We got bad and good. The flow of the passage was actually really simple, and I hope you caught it, right? As we look at our issues, here's the two responses that we can take. We can have godly grief that produces repentance and leads to salvation, or we can have the worldly response of worldly grief that never gets past and is nothing more than regret and leads to death. Those are your two choices. I think you can see it's important to make the right one. Because these two responses end up in very different places. One ends up in salvation, one ends up in death. The life and flourishing of a relationship or the death of a relationship. Here are your options. Please choose the right track. But we're going to spend a lot of time on it. As much as that is obvious, right? If a show of hands, who wants salvation? I think that's all of us. Who wants death? But here's why we need to spend some time diving in. Where we want to end up is clear, but the scary part is repentance and regret. They can look eerily similar at times. And we can confuse ourselves whether we're in repentance or regret. They can look the same. And ultimately, when you notice the scripture, they start in the same place of grief, right? These are two different tracks. But this, I, I hope you lock this in. They start at the same place of sorrow and grief. And then at some point they diverge. And this is important because I think oftentimes sadness, grieving our sin, is treated as an indicator we're on the right track. That is before the paths diverge. Don't think just because you're sorry about your sin that that indicates you're on the path to life. How many movies, how many relationships have you been in that you've used that as the indicator that things are going on the right path? You ever heard this in a movie or in life? Oh, I know. Yeah, maybe he still hit me or I know this is still happening, but you know what? He feels so bad. Oh, man, he, he, oh, she, she's really sorry. And we use that as an indicator we're on the right path. Being sorry when our life blows up doesn't mean you're on the path to life. It's how you respond. The path doesn't diverge at grief and sorry. Where does the passage change? Where is the hinge Not regret, but repentance. The key to restoring relationships is repentance. Repentance is the hinge on which healthy relationships hang. 
That is where the past diverge, right? Both is sorry, both are grieving. One continues on to regret, and one is repentance. Repentance is the hinge on which healthy relationships hang. The other one is just mere regret. I hope and pray the amount of kind of relational carnage you would save if you understood the distinction between these two. I think this quote helps. One can be sorry for their sin without repenting from their sin. Sorrow describes a feeling, but repentance describes a change in both the mind and in the life. Do you feel that difference? Are you on the path of just regret that you messed up again? Or are you on the path of repentance, not just feeling sad about it, but on the path of change? These can look eerily similar. This is a core need of all of us. We have to get this right. To be able to notice the difference between godly repentance and just worldly regret. And we're going to spend a significant amount of time unpacking that. Because it's so important because these tracks, these paths can look the same, but they diverge. And all they start in the same place, they end up in very different and possibly dangerous places. So look at some of the indicators. How do we know what track, what path we're on? First, godly repentance versus worldly regret. One is about sin. One is about grieving the consequences of sin. And I'm sure you've seen this, whether you've been able to place it or not. Am I brokenhearted about what I did or am I brokenhearted about the consequences of what I did? Sat down with a lot of people that just can't stand the fact that they lost a relationship, they lost a job, and they're grieving so much how their life was destroyed. Listen, everyone grieves when their life is destroyed. Right? When I make a mistake and my life blows up, everybody feels bad about that. That's not an indicator. I'm on the path of repentance and salvation. One indicator just between regret and repentance, right? Do I just regret what happened? Or if I had the opportunity to do it, would I do it different? See, repentance is saying, I was wrong and I'm going to try to turn around and go a different way. If you just feel bad about how messed up your life is because of your sin, but man, you wouldn't necessarily change it, you're just in worldly regret about your consequences. Listen for that in your own heart. Am I brokenhearted for what I did or just what I lost because of what I did? Those are very different. Here's a second one. Godly repentance, are you willing to show repentance Are you just wanting to tell about it, right? In worldly regret, you can say things or maybe hear things like this. Why don't you just believe me? I told you I'm done with that. I told you I'm different. I told you I changed. Stop. I think it's important to communicate that you are wrong, but it has to be more than words. This is huge. Studying this, this, I wouldn't have said this, but I think it is true in studying this. Repentance is observable. It starts in your heart. Man, I'm wrong. But it is a change of your life. And it's a process. Don't weaponize that. But Paul looked at their life and said, wow, what a change. Look what you did. 
you're doing this and you weren't doing that before. To be in godly repentance, look, I know I've, I've hurt you. I've damaged your trust. It's hard to ask for that right now. But I'm willing to show that I've changed and I'm going to go past more than words. I actually deleted a slide when I first made this sermon because I was going to go into the more than words song. Remember that old school song? La-dee-da, don't know. You know that one? But it felt too cheesy, and I don't know why it felt less cheesy to sing it for you right now, but... Anybody know the band? Extreme. All right. I had to Google that one. I couldn't remember, but I was going to go into it like la-dee-da. So, listen, if Extreme gets it, Billy Idol gets it, I think so should we, that it's got to be more than words, and we can't just stop there. I got two more. Are you happy to confess? Or are you hoping to conceal? When your issues get found out, are you one to keep that, hey, we don't need to go tell everybody. Let's keep that hush-hush. Let's keep that between us. Or are you happy to get help and tell who? You don't have to tell everybody. But are you happy to confess it to whoever is going to help heal the situation? Right? This one is so clear, right? Is it worldly or is it godly? Whenever I'm hoping to conceal about it, what is my concern? It's not repentance. It's reputation management. I mean, that is a dead ringer that I'm in the midst of just worldly regret because I'm not concerned about healing. I'm not concerned about God's reputation. I'm concerned about protecting mine. And that kind of sorrow is selfish sorrow. Everybody feels that when their reputation is damaged. Know the difference. Okay, do I want to repent? Do I want to heal? Do I want to get a different place? And I'm not trying to keep this hush, hush. A final one, and I think it is a big one. Do I focus on what I did wrong or focus on how I was wronged? Again, I'll admit I messed up. I mean, I know I wasn't perfect. Look what was done to me. And look, if you've been harmed, I'm not talking about like abusive situations. If you've been harmed, I love the world that we're in now where healing from trauma is a, a huge helpful thing. I am 100% behind that. Don't hear me wrong. But what we do now in relationships, kind of our normal relationships, I can plant myself as the one who's been more wronged, therefore... I'm the victim, therefore, you repent, I'm off the hook. And I've just got to call it how I see it. That victim mentality is big in our culture right now. And the second I can slot myself as the victim, I don't have to repent. This is where I think this passage is so huge. Did you catch in the passage? Remember what Paul said? I'm not writing to the one who did the wrong. I'm not writing to the one who was wronged. I'm writing to the church. Think about that. In their repenting, they were not the ones primarily wrong. They had to repent how they responded to the one that was wrong. That's the situation. They didn't respond well to the other's sin. They didn't discipline them appropriately. They didn't bring them truth. And how much damage remains in our relationships 
because we don't apply this. The second I'm not the one more wrong, now I'm the victim, you repent. That's not biblical repentance. They were the ones, they weren't primarily wrong, but they had stuff to own up to. We did a series on conflict. I put up this quote that a lot of people mentioned was helpful. So I want to put it up again because I think it really is super helpful. If I am only 2% responsible for a conflict, I am 100% responsible for my 2%. I love that he used those numbers too. Right? Don't we mix up that log and spec sometimes? If that's not a log and spec, yeah, I'm only 2%. But it takes more than two to tango, okay? It's more than that. I mean, if that helps, you know, hey, you're more the victim. You're the one more wrong. Does that help? Who cares? It doesn't matter who was more wrong. I need to own up to how I sin, the issues that I bring into the table. I need to get the log and the speck right, and it doesn't matter who is more wrong or less wrong, and I can't just focus on how you've wronged me to allow myself to not own up to my issues. That was the situation. They weren't primarily the one in the wrong, but they still had to repent of what they brought to the table. All of us, need to be in healthy relationships. That's a part of being created in the image of God. All of our relationships are difficult and tainted by sin. If we don't know how to practice godly repentance, man, we are in for a long, hard life. This is God's key to give us to repair relationships, repentance. This is not a one-time thing. Do you know how to do this and have a practice of this? I like this quote about repentance. Repentance is the doorway to the spiritual life, the only way to begin. It is also the path itself, the only way to continue. Anything else is foolishness and self-delusion. Only repentance is both brute honest enough and joyous enough to bring us all the way home. As Christians, we need to be people that walk in and practice repentance. If that is not a part of your relationships, then man, I know there are ruptures that haven't been repaired. Are you tired of having that distance, that tension in your relationship? Are you ready to head down that other track? The lever that switches tracks, that gets you off that crazy train, is pulling the lever of repentance. Are you ready to get off the crazy train, humble yourself, pull that lever of repentance? That's the railway switch that puts you on the track of life. It's crazy that those used to be manual. I don't know how those actually work now. I'm sure chat GTP sends a drone to do it now. Like, I don't understand trains. I can prove it to you I don't understand trains. When I was a teenager, my brother convinced me. We found like one of those old school trolleys on the track. You know, like the ones in cartoons. He convinced me. He's like, yeah, dad and I ride that all the time. Well, we ride it. Spoiler alert, he was lying. (laughs) So we jump on this trolley. We start pumping it. And as we're pumping, I look up in the distance and see a policeman sprinting dead at us. Like, 
sprints at us like apparently he almost caused a train wreck. So he was lying. They didn't do that all the time. So I don't know how trains work. But I do know this. If you want to start healing your relationships, you need to pull that lever of repentance. And it's scary. We all want to go to life and restoration. But I think here's the great fear. If I repent and if I really acknowledge how ugly my sin is, I'm afraid you'll reject me. If I showed you how weak and messed up I was, what if you reject me? Remind me of the Home Alone scene, right? With a creepy neighbor guy, and they finally meet up in the church and realize he's a decent guy. He finds out, wait, you haven't talked to your son in years. Why? Why? Well, I'm afraid that if I humble myself that way, what if he won't answer? What if he won't respond? I can't promise as you humble yourself that that person will forgive you. But I can tell you, humbling yourselves and repenting is the only way to get to life and restoration. Listen as the passage continues. We're so afraid that if we, if we repent and show ourselves, we'll be rejected. But how often do we end up more respected and accepted? Listen to what happens after they repent. The passage continues. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. Listen to this. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. It didn't result in rejection. It resulted in greater affection. We're so afraid to be weak, to be vulnerable, because we might get rejected. Listen, in your tense relationships, maybe in your tense marriage, if your spouse came up to you and said, you know what? My anger has been harming you, and I've been harming you with my anger, and I'm sorry. I'm going to try to change. Will you forgive me? How do you respond to that? Does that make you want to push them away? Or does that make you have greater affection for them? I don't know a situation where that happened and the spouse said, well, I knew you were weak. I thought you were perfect. Now I know you're a sinner. We're done. <laughs> no. Imagine hearing that. Is that not water to a dry soul? It is the only path that leads us to restoration. And I don't know that they'll respond that way and get you there, but I know that's the only option that leaves that open. And since we're talking about home alone, I can't not show the final scene, all right?
clearly Kevin still needs to repent to Buzz. You know what's shocking? I've seen that clip probably literally a hundred times. It gets me every time. Like, it chokes me up every time. It's about the music picks up, you know? That is what we should be about. Like, as Christians, this should be our calling card. But we just ride the train of our pride off the cliff. Don't you want to at least leave open the option of healing that, of reconciliation? I would love it if, man, if a damaged relationship for years would begin restored because God is starting to convict you to repent. But often, this should apply to all of us. This shouldn't just be for the massive broken relationships, right? For those that are on day four of cold shoulder, like, man, why don't we turn the ship around? It's so silly. I remember in college, my roommate, he was like, I'm going to buy a carpet for our room, the university carpeting. I'm like, well, that's dumb, but go ahead. Your parents are rich. Have at it. And then he buys the carpet. And he's like, you owe me 60 bucks for your half. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, what do you mean? I bought that. I'm like, you didn't ask me to split it. If you'd asked me to split it, I'm like, I'm not buying overpriced carpet. I'm a college student. We're going to Walmart. I pay for having that. We lived in an eight by eight box for three weeks. We didn't say one word to each other. We've been in a dorm room. They're not big, like. For three weeks. How silly. Is your relationships any less silly than me in college? As we're just just riding that train that leads to death and distance in relationship? Or can we humble ourselves and begin the path of repentance? I just want to give three just quick steps. Man, in this, I pray that you take this inward. You know my least favorite compliment is? Man, great sermon. Can't wait to send that to my dad. He's a sinner. Oh, so not you? Okay, cool, cool, right? And so for those that are sitting there right now, like, I hope my spouse has listened to this talk on repentance. I beg you, if you miss the application of this, I'm a horrible preacher. All of us can repent of something. What can you repent of? And it starts here. And again, I wouldn't have said this until studying this passage. Grieve your sin. We resist this. Because, man, I'm free and I'm not guilty of that. And so we just want to quickly run from this. But that's what Paul said, I grieved you. And that grief is what led you to repentance. And so I think there's a healthy amount of grieving the effects of our sin that we run from too quickly. When you find out how your sin has hurt somebody, I want you to see that as gas. That's just gasoline. Now, how you respond to it, You can either just cause a fire and everyone burns or use that as fuel. St. Augustine called it manure, right? The sorrow of your own sin. You can wallow in it. You can rub it all over yourself and I'm the worst. I've ruined everything. And then wallow in manure and you end up smelling like doo-doo. There's no other way to say it. Or you can use that as fertilizer and grow. That's a That grief is a gift. You want fuel to repentance? So few people are going to do this. But for those that will, I encourage you to this. That person you're harming, go ask them and say, look, I love you and my sin has hurt you. Can you you help me understand how my sin has damaged you? 
And that's a gift, not to wallow in guilt, but to give you the fuel you need to repentance. So don't stay there. Don't wallow in it. You need to wade into it. He said, I grieved you, but move on from that. Don't stay in that place. Grieve your sin. And then ultimately, confess your sin. And I want you to do this specifically. Repentance is saying, I was wrong. So whoever you're in relationship with that you want to begin repairing, don't just again, I'm the worst. I've ruined everything. They specifically repented of how they handled this specific situation. Confess specifically what your sin was and how you were wrong. But then finally, zealously run from your sin. See, I think sometimes we just treat our sin like an annoyance. Did you hear Paul? He said, what zeal, what earnestness, what longing. They repented, and repentance means zeal and earnestness earnestly trying to go away and run from our sin. How often do we treat our sin? It's just like a fly. It's an annoyance. Oh, man, I can't believe I looked at porn again. Oh, we just try to shoo away the fly. Man, I just lost it again. And, oh, I feel so bad. And we just try to shoo it away, hoping that fly's going to leave. You can't shoo away a fly. You can't shoo away your sin. You need to kill it. Repentance is observable. Repentance is changed. It has a zeal to go a different way. Do you feel bad that you drank again? Don't just wallow in that. Come to our meeting at 6.30 here on Thursday nights. Are you tired of just flipping out in your rage? Go to counseling. Do something to go a different way. Stop just feeling bad about it. Schedule an appointment with me. I'll meet with you. Do something beyond just regretting it. If there is something in your life that is hurting people you love, to repent means to run with zeal to be different. And the one caution I'd give you I think apart from God, this isn't possible, right? To understand when I repent to God, I'm forgiven. There's no guilt in condemnation. That's what allows me to wade into the effects of my sin. Without that, I think that whirlpool will just suck me under. But I can grieve what my sin issues have done without guilt because I'm forgiven in Christ. This isn't condemnation. This is understanding I'm free and now I can address my sin with zeal and a passion of repentance. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I pray that you would be specifically convicting us right now out of ways that our sin has harmed others even not just running from that too quickly. Using that as fuel to understand we don't want to continue to damage those that we love. God, would you give us the conviction, the specific conviction where we don't condemn ourselves, but we see where we are wrong. Give us the strength to change, to repent, to be on the road 
restoration and reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.